Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Psy-B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. Sometimes people move towards God during disappointing life experiences and times of acute tragedy, but sometimes they move further away. Disappointment and tragedy only serves to fuel doubt and disbelief, giving more reason to push and press against a God who doesn't seem to exist. Many believe the only reason people run to God is for nothing but an emotional crutch to find a sky daddy who will solve all their problems and soothe all of their pain. And as thinking people, they don't want to succumb to that kind of weakness or superstition. But this way of thinking reduces belief in God to merely its function. What God or religion can do for us, what purpose it serves in our lives. This way of thinking also commits a genetic fallacy. While pain may lead someone to God as the door opener, so to speak, it doesn't ask the real question of whether or not God is substantively true. That is a different question altogether. In our story today, tragedy did not lead to belief, but only further skepticism. But now, the one who was a skeptic is is a Christian. What was it that changed his mind? How did he move from embittered disbelief to believing not only that God is both true and real, but that, as C.S. Lewis says, everything else is thrown in? That's what we'll find out. Matt Fincher is our guest today. A former atheist, he will tell his story of how he made his way to God. Welcome to the Side B Podcast, Matthew. It's great to have you. It's good to be here. As we're getting started, Matthew, why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are, perhaps where you live, or what you do? I'm Matthew Fincher. I live in North Carolina and have so all my life except for about five months. And I work in insurance and have so for about three years. Uh, I know that at one point you were an atheist, and that's where these stories began. But I want to understand really what shaped those views of atheism. And I know oftentimes it it starts way back in your childhood in terms of where you lived and and the family and culture that surrounded you. Take me back to when you were a child and and talk with me a little bit about your experience of, of God or not, your family's beliefs, all of those things. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a family that went to church but I don't believe to be Christian. Um, we went to church every Sunday. My uh, grand, my granddad was a uh, a solid figure in that church. He taught Sunday school, but we didn't really go. We just went to the, the church service. And up until I was about 13 or so, um, we went to the, to the same church. We ended up, my parents got... Uh, divorced around that age too and we went to a different church however um at either of the ones they there was similar preachers similar styles of service and everything uh they had altar calls every weekend i didn't know what i was supposed to do except ask for forgiveness i knew that i was guilty and so i would uh, i would go ask for forgiveness and sometimes it'd be um very intense i'd be 
have a real understanding of you know how guilty I was and didn't know what to do except to ask forgiveness and I thought that you know as soon as I committed any kind of sin again that um, if I didn't ask for forgiveness before I died I'd go to hell and so that was a uh, quite a bit of pressure and especially uh, as you grow up in such a just a weird culture um, I th- I'm pretty sure I was the first generation of people to grow up with cable TV and it wasn't really um, bridled. They put a lot of stuff on there that children my age shouldn't have seen, even like from the age of six or seven or so. And there wasn't a lot of restraint, even on any of the stuff in cultural, like whether it be video games or the movies we watched. But that was the way with me in cable television, video games, and, and so many things. And I uh, was just influenced so much by the culture that um, on the one hand, I knew that I was sinful. Um, and on the other hand, I knew I wanted to... Um, get into trouble, whether that be chasing girls or get, like started drinking at a very young age. And all throughout high school, I was presented with, uh, you know, this that, uh, dichotomy. It's like, I want to do this, but I know this is wrong. And uh, when I was in the 10th grade, I met a friend who had moved down from Wisconsin and his family was Catholic, but he had converted to atheism and was a, a he purported he supported communism and uh, and I you will listen to his arguments he's a really bright guy and uh, in in kind of different ways than I was he was more like artistic and linguist and I was more the math science type person and it was a nice uh nice blend of skills that we could bring together he uh, introduced me to punk rock and other things like that um, that I I would never hear of were it not for for him. And he began to to make um, issue with the church. And he'd actually come with me a few times. We would hang out over the weekends, and still one person would hang out at one person's house for the either the Friday or Saturday night. Um, and he found my, my church too different from what he'd been to, to say the least. But um, he started pointing out atrocities in history um, of the Roman Catholics. And, and it's not that you couldn't do the same thing for um, so-called evangelicals. It's just that the Roman Catholics have a longer history. And it's and in some senses more, um, more to point out about the wrongs that they've done. I mean, we had a reformation over that. <laughs> so some of it's quite well documented. But when I asked uh, my parents, or my mom at least, about what the difference was between a Roman Catholic and what I, like, I try to find out what denomination we were. And she just said Protestant. I don't know if she knew. And, uh, and I asked what the difference was. She said they just have a lot more ritual. And so I didn't see any kind of real distinction between Roman Catholics and and uh, I mean, whatever it is that we were, we went to a church of God um, at the time was the denomination. <clears throat> so the the further and further I got ingrained into culture, the the more I didn't want to deal with uh, the sinfulness. I became more and more sinful 
and uh, but would still pray, would still try to read the Bible. I think when I was 17, I read um, through the end of Deuteronomy, and I got to the part, uh, I think it's around chapter 28, somewhere around there, where uh, it's like God tells them that they're not going to succeed at this, and he's going to have his hand in it. And I thought, it was like, what am I reading this for if, if he's showing them that they're going to fail? Uh, and then I stopped. And it wasn't long after that I went to college. I'd like to go back for just a moment before you go to college. Um, this this friend that you that you befriended in high school, it sounds like he had a lot of skepticism about the church. How did that affect your view of God and Christianity at that time? Did it cause some skepticism in you or doubt to arise in you? Uh, were you able to um, ask and ask questions or, or get answers? Or what was your what was your mindset around that time? Yeah, that's a, that's good to stop me there. I uh, at the time it was still kind of like the. Like you got to be good to get to heaven was the thought. And then like that was the prevailing thought going through is you just don't sin or make sure you ask forgiveness about it. Um, I'd even been baptized when I was around 13 or so. I didn't even know what it meant. I mean, this, it was just a ritual that you did. So I understood myself to be Christian. I was in the fellowship of Christian athletes in high school, but it was so much of it you could see was superficial and the media is quick to point out anytime some Christian fails at anything um, where they can make a, a public spectacle of it. So combined with um, the prevailing culture's attitude toward Christianity and my friend's skepticism, I, you know, I began to, you know, I, I couldn't make sense of, how all the things that I wanted, all the bad things I wanted to do, um, that I got really, really caught up in. Like that was the main thing I thought about was either the next time we were going to go party or I was preparing for it or just, that was the, really my goal was just to, to waste time for lack of a bit, for the cleanest phrase I could put forth. But, it did come to mind, like, you know, I didn't think that there was any kind of personal understanding of God. What I mean to say understanding, experience of God. I just thought it was, it was the, the kind of thing where he's up there and we're down here and there's nothing to connect in between. And those, uh, those seeds of doubt didn't kind of, take me all the way away, but it certainly did have me something to compare to. So you had, in a sense, you had talked about a dichotomy going on with you in that you were going through the motions, if you will, of Christianity, but yet it was a superficial kind of Christianity and you had seeds of doubt whether or not it was even true. It didn't seem to fit with your desires and your lifestyle, but yet you had a uh, a sense of this moral obligation, this sense of guilt when you did things wrong. So in a, even though your Christianity was somewhat superficial or cultural, you still had these very personal feelings of wrongdoing, I guess you could say. 
And so that was causing some tension in you. Yeah, the... Let me just say this. I don't, I don't think I felt guilt when I did the bad things. I think I felt guilt when I went to church. We had to go almost every week. <laughs> so, oh, I see. It, yeah. was a, it was a reminder. Yeah. yeah it was in, and so in, kind I, of I in your face. I preached, and I was like, man, that's true. That'd be really good. And we really ought to do that and agree with it and understand some, so much of what he would be saying. But when it comes to applying it to life, as soon as Monday came, it was right back to being the person that I was the other Mm. six days of the week. It was something that you could easily leave behind. So when you, when you went on to college, then it was probably even easier to leave church behind or Christianity or that Sunday morning reminder of guilt behind. Right. And not only that, that went from, you know, the, the, the culture I grew up in with the people I was around was, and I'll say Christianized with air quotes, like it was still the Christian ethic, if not even the Christian practices. But the the media culture that I was in, whether it be video games, we had the internet by that time, um, albeit very slow, uh, and uh, television were, were not. And so that presented differences too but when I once I got to to college this was in the late 2001 the uh, the the regular church service went away I didn't have to go I didn't deal with that very much and then the the people that I was around whether it be people in the dorms or classmates um, or teachers, or whatever else was influencing around, were nothing of the sort. It was um, secular at best, and so much of it was even anti-Christian. Although there would be campus preachers that would come, because it was a public university, and they would make their plea. And I think I listened once. This one guy, he would just come and read the Bible out loud, and he would answer questions, but he never really preached. There was one guy who preached fiercely, and... Um, seemingly um, enjoyed uh, the agitation that he could stir up within people. And that wasn't very appealing. But the one guy who would just read the Bible, um, real nice guy. But I'll listen to him once he was there, seeming like two or three times a week it would seem like I'd pass by him. But that was that was as much as I had to avoid. And the rest of everything else, whether it be media or... or uh, the rest of the people all around were, well, I wouldn't say is a, is it, it wasn't promoting the faith and, it, and so much of it was antagonistic. I then got into classes too that were, that seemingly supported the kind of things that I'd want to hear um, to get rid of the guilt that I had. So I didn't have it, the, the regular reminder. And I was, um, Studying physics more, and you get into science classes, and the the evolutionary worldviews assumed rather than questioned. I was, it was to the point where I was uh, the the things that I did that were wrong, that I knew were wrong, that I felt like I needed to ask forgiveness of, um, became more prevalent, and 
the restraint that was kind of pulling me back in that direction was gone. And so it was so much easier to embrace anything that was against that. It was a whole lot easier to try not to deal with the guilt that I had. And I think, I can't say exactly where, because it's been some time now, but probably around 19, 20 years old or so is when I, when I went into full-on atheism. I didn't promote it or anything right away, but it was a, it was something I think I was, I was coming into. And after that, it, it just became more easy to do all the immoral things that I wanted to do. Right. So it gave you a, a moral license without guilt. Right. Now, there were other things, too, that, um, like, I, I got into some of the uh, the culture of it, but, uh, like, the culture of atheism, I mean, just finding out certain facts that made it easy to, to fend off anybody that might want to argue with me. I'd been good at arguing my whole life. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not something you want to naturally be good at, I don't think. Or most people wouldn't. But I was, and so I just pieced together a few facts. And some of them I would, I would just assert, and not even as if they didn't have to be argued. Um, evolution was one of them. I wasn't sure about it. Like they taught it to us in high school. And so I'd already embraced uh, the evolution of the species. And then I would find out uh, in physics about the expanding universe. And, and now I think more so that's, it's a, that's something on our side that we could use to defend rather than something that helps the, uh, yeah, the expanding universe can confirms the reality of a, of a, an initial big bang, as it were, a, a singularity at right. the beginning well, of the universe. Right. Well, God also says he stretches out the heavens. So I take the expanding universe. I took thing. I would just presuppose evolution. I would, I would put that uh, the Bible be translated so many times so we couldn't really know whether it was true or not. I mean, it sounded like a professional. And uh, the one that got me the best uh, that I would say for last that I thought was my best um, attack on the faith was, you know, we've got like 800,000 species of insects. And um, it shows that Noah put every single thing on the ark in twos. And it's like, I don't think that you really had 1.6 million different little insects there in male and female and then set them all off the ark. Now I've got different arguments, you know, as opposed to that now or anything, but that would really blow people's mind when I would start defending myself. So they either at least uh, have some chink of skepticism in their armor if they wouldn't respond, or maybe they didn't. They just wouldn't want to argue with a hothead like me. I didn't really take that into account. So then, or I'd, I'd leave justified. Either way, they wouldn't talk or they would lose the argument. And so I felt um, grounded in my own disbelief. And I carried right. that the time that I was converted almost, and maybe within like six months to a year before that. But nobody had anything for me. So no one, no one could respond to your intellectual arguments for atheism. Uh-huh. Right. And so I felt all the more rigorous and justified in my own unbelief or my own belief in atheism. Right. That kind of a faith. I, uh, I didn't always go out looking to be like that, but 
another thing I could point out too was the inconsistencies in people who name themselves Christian. Excuse me. But when uh, when I didn't really go out starting fights, but when somebody would use that as a crutch in conversation, or just even mention Christianity or Jesus or anything like that, or a belief in God, then it might I feel like all like now triggered. Like I would just want to fight back about that and then start tearing down the walls of somebody's faith. Uh, I wanted this is just like so much of what we see now. I just wanted to remove from public discourse. You know, like you can believe this on your own, but I don't want you talking about it around me, kind of thing. Right, right. It wasn't true. It, um, science had disproved it. It wasn't good. You're hypocritical. The atrocity, the the atrocities of the church. All of these things, the corruption of the Bible, it's just that it was a you you showed Christianity to be rather weak and compared to the strength of your intellectual atheism. Right. And my theory on the people who were Christians, it was like in a part from a from a within the church kind of view, it looked to me like I just examined the Ten Commandments. And after you get through the verse four, it just seemed like something that it was set up to keep the people in power and power. There was, and that's some of the, the communism that had leaked through was made that kind of uh, impression seemingly. Mm. Mm. Don't want my stuff. Don't take my wife. Don't uh, steal from me. And don't, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of all of them, but that was enough for me to, to think that there was some kind of motivation to, to keep, people in line. Um, and, uh, I didn't look much further into that. That just seemed, I, I theorized it. And then I'd heard some other people, uh, maybe not directly people in person or read something or heard something somewhere that that made enough sense to me to, to keep the belief. Um, and, uh, from the, from the personal perspective, it just seemed like to me a way to not have to make explanations for things. Not not the idea on the Ten Commandments or ethics or anything like that, but the the thought that you know it, there's so much to explain and so much we don't know. And to me, science seemed like a better resolution than finding out. And I was just so enamored with all the wonderful things that I was learning. Right. Uh, that it seemed to me like if you didn't want this, what I knew that I found to be so wonderful, then you were just making you were just being lazy about saying, oh. And it's like, gosh, the, uh, and, and, and I, and I can do this now too, even as a Christian, you, you find sometimes in life, things are so hard to explain that you don't know what to say. Like sometimes we'll just say now, I want to, like, we don't want to push people through their own difficulty. You can see something's difficult for somebody and say, well, I'll pray for you about that. And, or see something so tough. But when I would hear people say, when I was younger, the Lord works in mysterious ways. It seemed like such a cop out. It just seemed as if, you know, if if something favorable to you happened, then oh, the Lord is so good. And then if you couldn't explain it or something bad to you happened, it's like well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. It seemed to be the, the explanation for all of it. That that there wasn't anything within the bounds that could happen to you that couldn't be explained by one pithy phrase about how God's working in this. And that just seemed to me so intellectually lazy mm. <laughs> um, that 
that uh, that I didn't want to I didn't want to have that to be the explanation for what I I had. Now I couldn't offer any better explanation for why bad things happen to good people, seemingly. But that was that was a tough one. We're going to quickly pause our story for a moment so that I can tell you a little bit about the C.S. Lewis Institute. For over 40 years, the Institute has been committed to developing wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ who will articulate, share, defend, and live their faith in personal and public life. Please consider making a donation to the C.S. Lewis Institute. To donate, go to our website at www.cslewisinstitute.org and click Donate. Thank you. Now let's get back to our story. Matthew, it sounds like you had a lot of things going on. You you had become a militant atheist. Um, you ha- it seems like you had a lot of contempt for Christianity and God in your life. Um, and it, I presume that this affected your lifestyle. And um, and I just wondered how that affected your atheism affected the way that you lived. Right. Well, it had. Not only was there the 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 culture in school, the absence of the church kind of being that moral balance to combat um, so much of what I wanted to believe. There was an um, experience I had when I was 20. I had come back from a a uh, internship as uh, as an engineer. And was um, in school over the summer, and uh, for the the Fourth of July holiday, I went back to my roommate's hometown. I was uh, at a point where I was very low. I didn't know kind of what to do. I I recognized I had a problem with uh, with alcohol and drugs, and starting to seek a counselor about it. And um, his thoughts, and I think he kind of knew, but he just couldn't say. He knew that you know, some people won't take certain things, no matter whether they're true or not, just because they're so hard to believe or they go there or they cost too much to believe. And I think that's what happens with people. A lot of times when you try to present Christianity to them, it's a harder truth than what he was telling me. Excuse me. But, uh, he said, well, and I went, I think I, no, I went because I was depressed. I just didn't have a whole lot of hope, a whole lot of joy. And this is already by the time I was 20. So this is before any kind of, militant atheism this is just the kind of the the seedlings phase um but i uh i went to this counselor and he said well perhaps it's that you're depressed and then you drink and do drugs because of this or it could be that um these are the things that are causing you to be depressed and the only way we can kind of put a control on this is uh, by having you stop, so he so he agreed to have me stop for 45 days. And at the time, I was into um, alcohol and marijuana and some other drugs too. But these those are the main two. Those are the only two I had any kind of possession of. And so I'd agreed to to have one more time with each. And so I, I finished the marijuana that I had, and I planned uh, to go back um, to my roommate's hometown for the Fourth of July. There was this pretty girl. That I'd seen there before that wanted to to meet me again, and I didn't want to go back and not be cool by not drinking, and so I was saving that day to drink. But in the thirty days or so leading up to that time, I was having such a good time. I was I got back into B 
being active and running. I was an athlete all through high school too. So uh, I, th- I think I even quit smoking. I was I still smoked cigarettes then, and uh, so this day comes along and I'm going back. I never did it. Ended up running into the girl, but we all started drinking around noon, and. By five o'clock, I'm drunk. I hadn't drank for 30 days, and I, I don't know how many beers I drank, but it was a lot. More than normal, and I lowered my tolerance by not drinking for several days beforehand. And somewhere, I began to lose memory. Um, we went to several different places, but I woke up uh, in the hospital, and I was, I, was all, and I was on all kind of drugs, I'm sure I later met a doctor of pharmacology that said, if you go into a coma, even if you would remember anything, they put you on drugs so that you won't remember anything. So I didn't remember a whole lot about what happened. I looked down and my left leg had been amputated and, you know, just knowing how bad off I was, uh, with, uh, with drugs and alcohol another thing, trying to be cool. Um, I thought, I mean, I'd been in so many car wrecks already by then. They're like, well, that's the kind of thing that can happen doing the kind of things that I did. And uh, didn't really question too much the fault of the matter or what, what it went on. It's like, I mean, I'm sure that something bad happened that, and that it was my fault. I mean, I'm the one that was the one getting drunk. Now, uh, I don't doubt that some something else contributed to it. There may or may not have been any kind of foul play. But from what I can gather is that I got hit by a truck going about 75 miles an hour uh, that hit me as a pedestrian. I don't know if I was standing or lying or sitting or or what. I don't know. And I feel bad for the guy that that hit me. Uh, ended up being in the hospital for a month. I ended up, I had a lot of surgeries, a lot of staples. But I was a pretty cheerful patient. I, uh, had family all around. I think so many people were just glad that I lived. And I was just, I mean, for me, the experience was, you know, I went out partying one night, knowing I shouldn't really do it. And then I woke up in the hospital um, and, you know, I had some tough experiences there and the additional surgeries that went on. But uh, to me, it was just like, how am I going to get back to normal now? Like that's a, that was more of the focus for me was how do I, get up and get moving. That was seemed to me the harder thing than to deal with what actually happened. But, uh, being proud as I was, it seemed like the kind of thing like, man, I've been through, like I've been through so many wrecks and a bunch of fights and just a bunch of dumb stuff. It didn't seem like I could die. And that didn't fit anywhere into, um, an atheistic worldview. And then there'd be people that would come and visit me that I hardly knew. I mean, I kind of know, but just uh, had been praying for me at different churches um, from around the community. And uh, I'd hear about that, and I'd dismiss it. And I'd hear about it, and I'd dismiss it, and I'd hear about it, and I'd dismiss it. And uh, it just seemed to me like I was a medical anomaly. That was the easiest way to explain it, then some kind of miracle. Like people were exclaiming. It's like, I mean... But as for you, it was it wasn't something that you all of a sudden opened up and said, you know, after this tragedy, oh, I believe in God and no, this not was a at miracle. All. You this were actually like, pushing is, farther away, or yeah, still. I just like I just had good doctors. <laughs> That's the way I thought about it. Um, 
And, uh, and that was so tough for so many people at the time. Um, not only did they see something they thought to be genuine. This is me putting my thoughts into their head. Nobody's told me this. But at the same time, I'm here. I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'm just discounting it. But now, now, not that I wasn't a cheerful hospital patient or, um, <laughs> uh, or anything like that. It's just, you know, I think so much of it was just shielding the difficulty of um, all that I knew was to come. So, I mean, it was, it was a lot of pain and still is a lot of times. But I can't imagine, truly can't imagine. Yeah, but it's bearable. And it's a lot more bearable to know that I contributed to this. Like, I don't ever, like, you know, we have a tendency, and I say we, you may not be included in this, we, or you or anybody that would hear this, to, to want to be pitiful about the plight in our life and God's done good enough for me that the most difficult things that I have to deal with in my life, this being one of them was that, is that they're my fault. And so if I, I had to just, I can't go to, well, look at all the bad things that happened to me. He's like, no, look at the bad I caused myself. And so I kind of just get the gloss over the whole pitiful part. I can feel sad for a minute, but you know, I've got to figure out a better way or just rest until we get the, the proper thing fixed or the proper remedy of what the situation is or proper diagnosis. Mm. So it sounds like you became rather convinced of and ingrained in your atheism. So what was next in your journey that um, perhaps caused you to either push further into atheism or, or turn towards God? I'm thinking I'm about 22, 23 when it goes not just into a a passive and then occasionally combative to like a militant atheism. I uh, at the at the breath of the opportunity, I would make a point to do it, and it didn't matter with whom people I would work with, family members, even my own grandmother. Uh, it was terrible. Um, one of them, not both. But one of them, I was just like, look, you can't, we don't have any explanation for this. And she didn't either. She said, I'm still believing in God. I don't care what you say. Mm. <laughs> but like that, that's just the extreme example. Like, why would you do that to your grandmother? Is, is that yes. was corrupt? Um, yeah. Just awful. And it was I, something that I heard. I wish I could remember the scholar. I can't remember who it was, but he ended up being converted. But he said he was the kind of um, atheist. He had to be so smart to be so dumb about. It's like. God's fingerprint is on so many things and everything in life. But if you're so pleased with your own atheism, you have to stop looking at the pieces of the world that have God's fingerprint on it until, until you retreat and you retreat and you retreat. And the only thing you can kind of be pleased with is your own thought of atheism. And it's such a sad world to live in. I don't think I got all the way there, but I got very close. Mm. And it was just such a sad existence. It's just so much complaint, and anger, and... Um, just really was not a very happy person at all. And when you're a militant atheist, you have nothing to live for but that. And after a while, that becomes so terrible that you try to find some other purpose in life. And I couldn't find anything to live for. I thought about, you know, and this, and I'm probably not that as good of a science as, as I'd like to think, but I thought, well, maybe I could just do that. Maybe I could just go do science somewhere. I thought, you know, could I really live somewhere out in the woods and just conduct an experiment or something like Tesla or something? That's, that's way too 
proud of me to think that I could do stuff like that. But anyway, that was an option I was examining. Another thing um, we looked at is trying to figure out what we could do. Like, it's like, man, it's just things seem so terrible. Like, what could we live to do something worth doing? And I thought, you know, maybe we could try to make humanity more efficient. I still kind of had the engineering mindset. And I uh, thought that um, making humanity more efficient, at least, it seems just like so much waste. And I think it's probably still some of the leftovers of uh, dabbling in communism that it brought about. But I wanted to be, to be, be just have humanity be better. And I didn't even have a good definition of better. But uh, the area of history that my friend had been influenced by so much was the Roman period. And we had come to the conclusion that having... Uh, one currency, one language, and one government will make things a lot more efficient. We cut out a lot of waste. So, uh, adjacent to that is the whole scare of 2012. And if for for those who don't know or don't remember, there was the worry that there was going to be some kind of big asteroid to come and hit, or just the end of mankind in some kind of way. So, I really thought that we were coming to the end. I want to try to make things better before then. I told my brother about this so i thought that uh that i can check out and see if the bible is really true about this and so i started reading revelation so matthew you started to read the bible you started reading revelation uh, what were you finding there were you finding the answers that you were looking for no not at all <laughs> i didn't find the answers i was looking for but i did find some answers it it really was like something had gone on that uh, for some reason, when I picked up the pages of Revelation, I immediately thought, like, man, this is true. I did think that the things like that I saw in there seemingly corresponded to what was happening at the time. I don't think so now, <laughs> like so much. I don't. The world obviously did not end in 2012, but some of the stuff seemed to fit. But it, no matter the rest. Um, I continued to read on, finished reading that book and went from book to book to book after that. Now, the Bible, not necessarily in any kind of order or anything, but I uh, I just, something happened where I was like, this is the truth. It wasn't any kind of reasoning involved in it, which was weird. It was just as if the the internal voice you have i don't know there, i hear there's people that, that don't have an internal voice when they think um but i do and i think most of us do and it was just like this is the truth and it didn't make any sense because everything i just kind of positioned myself in life was was antagonistic to it and but i kept reading and um and weird things started happening uh i just i couldn't the, the moral argument is finally what got to me. I just couldn't grasp that there wasn't anything that we could do that was wrong. Like I could push out to the thoughts of some of the worst things that could happen to someone or you know, someone else. And I was like, that's definitely wrong. And I don't have any answer for why it's not. So you started mm -hmm. becoming skeptical about your own atheism. Right. I, I kind of pushed back into agnosticism. I think I, I skipped over being there for a while, for a long time. For probably a year or so after high school, I branched into being agnostic. It was just a, a cheap way of saying you're an atheist that doesn't want to obey anything. Now, for I'm sorry for any 
agnostics that I've been. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to obey any rules, but I don't want to say that I know anything. Uh, or at least that was how it was for me. And, uh, and, but then I got pushed back. It's like, maybe I really don't know. And then I couldn't get over the idea of morality. I knew that some things I did were wrong and I couldn't explain. I couldn't explain having a conscience. And that was the thing I tried so hard to explain away and I couldn't do it. So I started praying. I remember, uh, it's just so weird. God answered some prayers when I was 17. And there's no way it couldn't have been an answer prayer because the exact opposite of the thing happened the day before. And then the the thing that I was praying for kind of just turned itself upside down the next day. And I don't know why I could avoid that happening, why I could like keep that out of my memory. But it came back to me around the same time. It's like, man, I used to pray when I was younger. I used to get prayers answered. I should start praying again. But I was praying to anything but the Christian God with all his rules and all his bad history. <laughs> so yes. I started praying. Uh, so just weird stuff, just like the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, this all manner of idolatry. But I kept praying, just kept praying for God to show itself or himself to me and uh, had run out of ways to try to pray to something that I could make up um, around this time. I just things have just got so bad in my life. I uh, wasn't fully employable, but this was around. This is the end of two thousand eight. I uh, I didn't pick the Bible back up for some time, but uh, right after that, but I did continue on praying, and it was so weird. I'd I'd uh, I began again to to try to stop drinking and stop trying to do drugs. So I uh, stopped doing drugs. So I knew I was going to have to get some kind of different job. I was trying to move back to my hometown. And this was at the height of the, the previous recession when it was, nobody knew whether we we're going to make it out of it or whether we we're going to be able to have jobs. I ended up moving, not in with uh, my, my parents, but into an apartment somehow. Uh, and, Before all this happened, I was just, I was going into my morning routine and uh, I'd already come to understanding like the Bible is true. I wasn't reading it still, but I was still praying. I didn't, still didn't want to believe that, uh, the, that the God of the Bible was the one that was making the truth, the truth. Um, but, uh, I, I, uh, come to the it, well. The conclusion came to me. It's like when you read about the prodigal in Luke 15. He said he came to himself. That's exactly what happened to me. So I came to myself and understanding that uh, everything I wanted was a sin. All I wanted to do was to to drink and do drugs and chase skirts and and just do a bunch of other bad things. And, uh, and so I just, I was, I came to the realization, like everything I want is a sin. All I ever want to do is sin. And I just fell down weeping and I said, I do whatever you want. I knew it was God there with me at that time. So weird. I started throwing out 
CDs that I knew I shouldn't have and books. I had all kind of manner of terrible books. Music I shouldn't be listening to. And uh, within a month, I moved home to that apartment and started going to church. Um, my dad would take me to church. And in the same way that um, when I read the Bible, I knew it was to be the truth this time around. Uh, it's as if what the preacher was telling was the truth. It's like, why didn't, why didn't somebody, why doesn't somebody tell people that these guys are telling the truth? <laughs> Couldn't understand. This really was the whole change of things. It, it really was like a, being a new person. Like and, you had new eyes to see or ears to and, hear. And ears to hear, yeah. Um, and uh, it just continued on going to church ever since. Um, it was just such a. A weird experience. I picked up and read more and more of the Bible. I was reading other uh, materials and um, along with it and just really soaking up the faith. It was just such a good thing. So how has your life changed? Obviously, again, it looked like you had a new perspective on life and living. And I presume that it, it really affected your life. I mean, as an atheist, you spoke of anger, you spoke of depression, um, and those kinds of things. How how was your life affected after you became a Christian? Oh, I just wanted to do good. Like there was, like we had, I had, I had so many of the things that I was missing before. I had an an explanation of I know why there was other than just aliens bringing um, DNA to. Or probably not pre DNA or organic matter with a genetic code to reproduce. Um, I had a morality to adhere to. I had um, some kind of purpose, what I lacked before. And, you know, life had meaning. And so much, even like my, uh, my goals and stuff changed. Like immediately I wanted to, to be a part of a family and have a wife and children and, Just so much of what society sits upon. Uh, I wanted to to be a part of that. I became so normal. <laughs> <laughs> so I, normal. I just enjoyed my idea of being a radical for so long. And then I became a Christian. Like, man, this is really normal. Um, but it was still, I thought it would be boring. If ever was uh, the thought on um, becoming a Christian, just seemed like, man, it's just got to be so boring. You don't get to do any of the, the wild fun stuff I like to do. But it's been so much more wild uh, being a Christian. I've been in a lot more adventures, I'll say, uh, uh, albeit ever small or large uh, since then. It seems like it happens all the time. Just even everyday events can be like that. But so uh, now I, I, uh, so much of, gosh, so much of what we see now with uh, those who would oppose Christianity want so many of the same things that we have and just in a, in a different way. Um, I had a community to be a part of. Um, I had, you know, just like a network or just of something that was other than just a bunch of bad people that were tripping over their own feet and metaphorically in life all the time. Um, and I had something to which to progress, like just trying to be like Christ is such a hard thing sometimes. But it's in a different way, I presume, than the, the, the Christianity you knew as a child where you had to be good. This is a different kind of thing to be like Christ. 
You have so much good to say. I wish we had more time in the podcast to do that. So Matthew, it sounds like your life has changed dramatically. And you were just speaking a moment ago about those who opposed Christianity or those non-believers who sometimes actually are looking for similar things, but in a different way or at a different direction. Uh, If you were able to speak to the the skeptic or the curious non-believer, what would you say to them? Oh, I'd say I'd really examine the motivations that you have for your atheism. Is it really the evidence or is it really that you want to produce your own ethic? That's what I find with with me and with so many of the, the atheists that I run into or encounter who've, who've come from atheism in the same way. It's I, it, If this were true, then this would cost me this, really is the, the real uh, the hindrance to coming to the faith, rather than these other arguments are so convincing. And some of them very well may be as far as like the scientific arguments against the faith, if you don't have the, uh, the counter to them. But what I would, I would do is to examine your motivations for this. Are they really scientific? Are they ethical? Uh, and then to um, find out for yourself about this. I, I would recommend you know, reading the Bible and just trying to understand um, more about what the gospel is. You know, we, that's a, the, the term is used so much in Christian culture. It's almost um, lost any effect, but it really is the good news that that um, we we live in a fallen world where sin has corrupted everything. Like everything that was to be good is now not as good, and some of the things are not even good at all. And to to remedy that, to to show how loving God is, He sent His Son to to die. He lived the, the perfect life. He rose from the dead, and and it's really just believing that 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 brings us into this family, uh, to his family where we're redeemed, where uh, we can see that uh, this church, this bride of his, is really um, the whole purpose for creation. So um, so often it's you know why did why did God you know make the world? Why did God not make the world perfect? Okay, God could have made a perfect world and. And did, and then he gave. It's better for people to have the the choice to to live in it with freedom or not. And so he did so. And then in their choice, they they corrupted it. And yet, when his great love, he chose to redeem it. We could have just been like the angels and got the justice we deserve. But to show how loving he is, he's redeemed us. And one of the ways you can hear that is by hearing this gospel. That this good news is that you don't have to you don't have to face him on your own account. You don't have to deal. With your own ethical problems, they can be resolved by by faith in Jesus and faith in the, that He's come from the days, overcome the power of death, and that and that it can be for you too. Also, if uh, if you can find a church that believes the Bible, I would participate in that. It's one way that people come to understand this is just by hearing the Word of God, and it really is something supernatural that occurs. You you want to think that it's just a deduction reasoning, but it really is something beyond what we would think that really happens. It really is a change of heart or a change from flesh to, from stone to flesh. But and then if if you I know there's there's gotta be ends of the spectrum of, of ethics and atheism too. Don't be like I was. You'll so much regret it if you really do try to unconvert people. 
from Christianity, um, whether or not you you come to the faith. It's just it's such a hard way to live, and if you find something in this world to delight in, and hope it to be the Lord. If not, let it not be atheism. That's wonderful, Matthew. How about some advice to Christians who perhaps don't understand those who push away from God or want to engage with atheists? What would you? What advice would you have for them? Okay, I would pick up a book um, from Paul David Tripp. It's on counseling, but I apply it directly to um, evangelism too. It's called uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. It talks about, um, you know, when you're trying to tell people difficult things, so often they're not going to listen to you unless you get to know them. Now, I know we encounter people here and there that we're only going to see once. But in those senses, just try to pray that the Lord would open up the door for the gospel. In the sense where you, somebody you know, then try to get to know them. Try to get let them uh, get to know that you love them, that you care about them, in whatever way that you can. It's so much easier to hear um, hard truths from somebody that you know loves you than somebody that doesn't. And then only after that do I try to um, help people to understand the gospel and just you know hope that the Lord opens up the door for it. Uh, and then too, I uh, I know we're on a you know, a podcast about people being converted from atheism, but in the sense of like what we do in apologetics, the the stuff that I subscribe to, or at least the school of which is uh, presuppositional, and that's a longer word than it should be, but um, I really do think that um, having pe- presupposing that people are hostile to the truth, and that really the only thing that's going to help them out is either seeing the truth through the Bible or having their ears opened up through the gospel is what's going to happen. But at the same time, too, we should have an answer or the hope that's in us. And if it's just telling, you know, this is what happened to me, that's uh, that's perfectly fine. But just, you know, expect at points and times that you're going to fail. You're going to be too scared. You're going to have the fear of man. But um, that doesn't mean it has to be the end, that we can keep going to, um, to, to let the world know that um, we really do have the truth and we really do have the message of redemption that the world needs. That's really good advice all the way around. Well, thank you, Matthew, for being part of the Side B podcast. It's an extraordinary story. It has so much in it in terms of the, the reasons why you push back against God intellectually, emotionally, morally, experientially, so many ways in your life that you were pushing back against God, but I guess he was not pushing back against you, uh, that that somehow through God your eyes were opened and you found the love and care of God, uh, the truth of God through his word, and that your life has been completely transformed. What a beautiful story, and thank you so much for coming on to share it. Oh, it's been a pleasure for me too. Um... I for asking being asked about this it's like I do want to be able to um, do what we're expected of us in Romans is to confess with our mouth as I do believe in my heart thanks for joining me today on the Side B podcast to hear Matthew's story you can follow him on Instagram at Patrick Henry 007 
For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me at email at thesidebpodcast at cslewisinstitute.org. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, subscribe and share this new podcast with your friends and social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time where we'll be listening to the other side.